0: Hello, welcome to the Scouted Football Podcast. It is episode 30, and we are at a point where the Bundesliga season is coming to a close. Uh, the first of the top five leagues to conclude after its regulation 34 games have all been played, um, barring France, where it ended prematurely uh, due to the coronavirus crisis there. Um, unsurprisingly to many, uh, Bayern München have stylishly and efficiently romped to another league title, uh, in fact, their eighth in succession. Uh, elsewhere in the Bundesliga, we've been impressed by uh, the likes of Julian Nagelsmann and Marco Rosa's maiden campaigns in charge of RB Leipzig and Borussia München Gladbach, respectively, uh, where they've given plenty of opportunities to the likes of Christopher Nkunku, Marcus Turam, and company. Um, the, the Bundesliga has been a great league to have followed closely this season, uh, especially from an under 23 perspective. Uh, we've seen the emergence of Alfonso Davis as a brilliant two way left back imperious in his attacking and frustratingly good for, for opponents uh, in his defensive duties. Um, Kai Havertz has also followed on from, from last season with some great displays in a variety of positions and roles. Um, And and based on that introduction, as you may have guessed, uh, today's pod is is all on Germany. Um, But much more about that later, as as I'm rambling on enough. Um, It's time for today's guest. And today I'm joined by none other than uh, Jonathan Harding, um, football journalist based in Germany and uh, author of Mensch Beyond the Cones. Um, You may have seen Mensch advertised as the front cover is as brilliant as what's inside it, with the the shirt pattern from Germany's 1990 World Cup side adorning the front. Um, Jonathan, welcome to the pod. It's great to have you on. Um, How are you holding up?
1: Thanks so much for that introduction, Joe. I'm very humbled by those kind words about the book and... um... Yeah, we got lucky on the cover, that's for sure. It was very fortunate to have some some great people helping me uh, put that together. All well here. It's uh, slightly an odd feeling that this season is nearly over, as you mentioned, but uh, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot more football over summer than there normally would be.
0: Yeah, certainly a strange time for football. You know, having league and, and domestic games in, in July and August, uh, that's going to be a bit strange, especially when we we were we were thinking we were going to be treated to the European Championships this summer. Um, but you've been based in Germany for around eight years now, if if I'm correct. Um, what what's it been like for for you living out there?
1: It's been probably one of the best experiences of my life. I mean, I was fortunate uh, and very privileged in my life to to have lived in a number of different places. Um, after I got a degree in in German, which nobody does, I can reassure you, there were very few people on my course. Um, I I decided to to come out here and, and worked hard, but you know as I said, got lucky, uh, got a few opportunities, worked a few internships, and um, I've just spent the last few years watching as much and, and learning as much and listening as much as I as I could have done. And uh, it's a great place to be. There are many benefits uh, to living in Germany. There's uh, One of the biggest parts of the reasons that I like living here is the fact that it's not so centralized. And I think that uk for example or France two good examples of two countries that are extremely centralized and any- anything that you want to do has to either be in London or Paris and I like that Germany isn't necessarily like that obviously Berlin is a, a metropolis in itself uh, with a lot of positives to it but there are a number of other great places in Germany that you can make your way in and um i um, I just like that it, it's you know it spreads the country out and uh, you get to meet a lot of different type of people that way which is uh, one of life's great things i think
0: oh yeah absolutely i mean i've i've loved germany whenever i've visited um you know from berlin to to places like freiburg and the, the Freibads and stuff like that it's uh, yeah it's a different way of life and it's, it's certainly one that i could uh, i could perhaps see myself living uh, in in future for definite um, but just back to back to sort of football, and, and you're, of course, the, the author of Mensch, um, which, besides the great aesthetic, um, is quite an interesting and, and contemporary topic um, that you've covered in the book. Why is it that you chose to write about German coaching in particular?
1: Well, I felt at the time, uh, and I feel like that's still valid today, that we have talked a lot, or the world has talked a lot about German football and often being the blueprint and you know the way that the Germans play football has often been seen as sort of they always win. Uh, there's that great old phrase that always gets trots out, trotted out when Germany play, you know, the Germans always win in the end. And I thought it was interesting that that has become sort of part of the psyche of German football. And yet we never talk about the people who who coach. We only ever talk about the players or the great winning teams. And I thought there was a time to remedy that. And obviously in the last few years, the Bundesliga has become a a really important league for for giving opportunities to young coaches. I mean, obviously, if you look back in the history of German football, that much is true. Even then, it's not like it's a new phenomenon. But uh, and I, I just thought it was time to to look into that. Um, and I was very fortunate to speak to a number of great and interesting characters along the way. And and what I realised in writing the book is that it's not just a case of. German is getting an opportunity, but it's part of a wider conversation about what it is to be a great coach, but also what it is to be a great coach in the modern era. Um, and a lot of that, if not all of that, is to do with connecting with, with human beings and understanding how to develop people and not just players.
0: Yeah, I feel like it is contemporaneous because, as you say, the Bundesliga has been, you know, a hotbed for, for young coaching talent in the last few years, and we're going to get onto that in uh, in, in a later part of this episode. Um, I feel like, yeah, it's kind of had a lot of evolution and revolution uh, has, has come through the Bundesliga and sort of permeated the rest of, of footballing discourse. Um, but, of, of course, back to sort of this season, and, you know, you're, of course, up to speed with, with all things Bundesliga uh, living there. Um, how, how have you found this campaign, you know, what have been some of the some of the big stories from from an under twenty three perspective for you, and and perhaps some some lesser known stories?
1: Well, I think the title race is always the issue uh, with German football. I've long been a, a campaign member for how Germany doesn't need to change its approach in some respects because I think part of the problem for for the Bundesliga is that it wants to try and be two things. It wants to try and be the Premier League, but it also wants to try and be the league that it is at the moment, which is a developmental league. And I think in many respects, especially in consideration of players who are 23 or younger, this is the perfect league for that. And I think if the league were to accept that position, as I think many fans and and viewers have, that they would probably benefit from that rather than trying to, to strive to be something that only one league can be. And I don't envisage anything other than the Premier League being that league. Um, I've been impressed with with another season of development. I know that sounds maybe a little bit boring, but, you know, when you see the way that clubs are as a whole, but also players as individuals have moved forward this season, it's been really exciting. Obviously, Bayern Munich winning the league doesn't do any favours for the headlines, but if you look beyond that, it's been really intriguing. You know, I thought Marco Rosa, who we'll obviously talk about later on, has done great work at Gladbach with the individuals that they have there but you know a team like Hoffenheim who doesn't very you know doesn't really have much much favor uh in Germany but has done a great job uh, post Nagelsmann of of what it looks like getting back into Europe seemingly and you know that's that's not an easy task but they've done a really good job of of making sure that the players that they want um either come through the the youth academy or that they recruit and I I think those are the kind of stories that are harder to to sell, is maybe the wrong word, but for people to look into um, if the headline is, we'll Bayern Munich win the eighth title in a row. you know, So there is a lot more to the league, I think, than meets the eye. And I think if, if there's a willingness to look beyond the lack of competition at the top, which is an issue that needs to be resolved, then there are many delights to be found. I mean, you said that it might be a little bit boring, but another season of development certainly isn't boring,
0: um, especially not on this podcast. That's kind of you know you're definitely in the right place there. As you were saying, you know there, there are probably a few stories uh, and a few little subplots to the Bundesliga that maybe don't get the attention that that others do. Um, and of course, you know Bayern Munich are always going to to take uh, take the headlines, but it's it's the, the left back Alfonso Davis. You know he, he's a player that I wanted to touch on straight away because he's been nothing short of excellent this year. Um, Bundesliga, Champions League—you know—he does it all, and in a position that he typically wasn't really familiar with um, ahead of this season, coming from Vancouver Whitecaps in the MLS as a, as a left winger and, and a good one at that. Um, did you did you sort of anticipate that he would turn into one of the league's best fullbacks in the space of six to eight months?
1: No, and I think anybody who did is probably lying. Um, <laughs> I think it's uh, it's a, it's been a phenomenal few months for the for the young man, and I think. Hansi Flick deserves a lot of credit in the way that he has guided him, but I also think there's probably a, an indication of the direction in, in which you know football in the next few years wishes to go. And I say this from my my very humble understanding of the game. You know that's that's where I see it. But his speed is is absolutely paramount to absolutely everything he does. And we're not just talking about game speed that most players have, because you know you've got to accept that most players at a professional level have a certain level of speed that is beyond your non-playing comprehension but his ability to not only decimate oppositional players even if he's 20 meters away in a, in a foot race but also mentally the speed to make decisions matches the speed that he shows on on the pitch and I think that's what's been so impressive and I think it's also a sign that wingbacks have become I think wingbacks are becoming more like wingers and, and when you look at players like Jaden Sancho for example you start to think if Alfonso Davies is a winger, but all but all, can also defend, then it's almost like you have Sancho plus a defender in one. And I think the value of that in a team like Bayern Munich in a system that presses and is aggressive is is invaluable. And I I, I think the thing is he's sti- obviously he's, you know still learning, and there are a couple of moments where he's almost too fast for himself. You know he's, he's thinking too quickly, and he's two steps ahead, and sometimes he uh, he stumbles, but. I think in this team, with with David Alaba also, you know, let's not forget, seamlessly slotting into the centre back position as if he's been there for ten years. There's a, there's a lot of positives to say about the coaching, but uh, also the development of Alfonso Davis is yeah, it's just remarkable. I I really am impressed at how he's he's made himself, you know, a player now that you can't imagine not being in that team in such a short period of time.
0: Uh, yes, certainly. I mean, to to be able to do that in such a short period of time at such a young age is something quite unique. And and then you you know you factor in the Bayern Munich are, are one of the the best clubs in the world. You know, this is this is pretty abnormal from him. And of course, as you mentioned, you know his speed, both physical and and also in 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 his mind. That is always going to be the first thing that draws draws you to him because. The way that always gets me is the way that he sorts his feet following um, those tremendous recovery runs that he makes. You know, he shifts his body in, in a way that he, he completely shuts down his opponent. They they have no room to breathe and they must be thinking, you know, I had 10, 15 yards on him. You know, I was, I'm bearing down on goal, but now I've got a defender in front of me. I've slowed down. I've been stopped in my tracks completely. And That must be incredibly frustrating.
1: Yeah, but it's demoralising as well. I mean, let's not let's not forget that. I mean, if you're a defender and and you, or if you're an attacker and you think you've got you've got some yards on him and you've got space, if that happens three or four times in the opening half an hour, you know, mentally that's a Absolutely. that's a block now for the winger, and he's already thinking about that. So that yeah, that does make a difference as well. I mean,
0: understandably, it does help playing in the best side in the league. You know, you're going to be assisted by the players around you and the, and the standard that they're at, um, but you know then the other side of that coin is also that he wouldn't be in that side you know starting every game if the coach didn't deem him good enough to be to be mixing it with the tiagos the mullers the, the lewandowskis um how much credit must also go to to hansi flick for, for for placing his trust in davies
1: i think an enormous amount of credit must go to flick um not just for davies but for the development of the team generally i mean I think coaches often say it's a player's game and you know coaching is often seen as a as a somewhat peripheral task but I think what Flick has shown is that there is a difference between how you coach top level teams and if you look at Bayern's recent history you know Niko Kovac didn't have great success and Carlo Ancelotti didn't either and yet in those years they also still won the league now that probably says more about the opposition in the league at the time than it does about those coaches but the difference in the way that Bayern Munich are dominating opponents under a coach like Flick or Guardiola for example shows that there is there is value in having the right coach and these top teams don't just drive or play themselves as it were um so I think you can see that example in the way that the style of football is being played, but the other example is the development of young players. And Alfonso Davis making such a seamless transition from the youth team into the first team in such a short period of time is undoubtedly due to his professionalism and his desire to to develop, but also because Flick understands. And I think a lot of that understanding probably also comes into Allowing players to have their space to find their feet, to make social connections, and to to you know get a standing and and have a, yeah have a standing in a team, and that's not easy for such a young man. But I think Flick has been a guide in that situation, and that's really the key. He's been a guide more than uh, a coach. I'm sure he's given pointers. I'm sure he's developed his game. We wouldn't see him playing the way that he is now had he not been there doing that. But I think nudging him along the way rather than pointing the way uh, is what makes Flick such a, an underrated and, and special coach, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it's not going to be easy for for any nineteen year old in any workplace, you know. Never mind a footballer's workplace, uh, you know, to come in and and establish himself as you know the, the, as a key player. You know, he's, there are always going to be those question marks over all. Oh, you know, the, does he have the requisite experience? Does he have the requisite metal? You know, is is his, is his attitude on point? So I think, yeah, f- full credit must go to, to to Davies for for showing that he has that, but also to, to Flick for, as you say, nudging the the right way rather than saying, you know this is how we have to do things um veering slightly away from the under 23 angle for a moment i'm just going further onto sort of Hansi flick w- what is it about him that's that's made him such a success at Bayern so quickly because of course he was he was the right hand man of yogi love um with germany for so many years but w- with your expertise in german coaching what is your take on on flick as a person uh, a a coach and, and how successful he can be
1: well I think that time in the national team does explain a, a lot about Flick. Um and I think it's not misplaced to say that I don't think Germany win the World Cup in Brazil if, if Hansi Flick is not in that coaching staff. Um I think that Joachim Löw deserves a lot of credit for what he's done and he's obviously been the one who makes the final decisions but you know I've always I've always believed that you know a writer is only as good as their editor a head coach is only as ever as good as their staff and I think Flick and Loew had a great relationship, and and that was one of the reasons that Germany were able to to mastermind their way to success in 2014. And in as a result of that, also you know Flick's departure from Germany, I think, is also a reason why Germany have struggled ever since. I think mean, other factors, of course, but Flick is is a, is such an interesting character because if you take that and you take the fact that he's worked you know as an advisor, I think he was involved with Hoffenheim for a short period as as, as a footballing advisor. Um, And you look at the fact that he's so often been the number two. He's a great footballing mind that hasn't had to deal necessarily with the spotlight because there's always been somebody else or he's just working in the background, which I think is a testament to the way that he works, but has also benefited the way that he works because he's always been about the work. That's what I admire in him. You know, it's very clear he's very focused on what we're doing now And he understands that a lot of what football is about is developing a philosophy. And he's been able to do that from the sidelines without having to deal with being the number one. And now he is the number one. Again, having sort of slid in as the number two previously, which is, again, smart because he didn't have to arrive as the head coach, but arrived as the assistant and sort of gradually progressed into that position. That's been a big benefit to him because he is now finally, as you know, the number one guy. Having spent years watching other people be the number one, and that is a great benefit because you can learn in that position. I think the biggest thing about him is that he understands how to work with ego. So that that work with with the German national team has put him in a great spot because if you look at the resurgence of players like Boateng and Muller, for example, that's not that's definitely a connection. You know, that work with the national team is partly because of what he um. Is able. that's why he's able to get the best out of them at Bayern, because he worked with them at Germany. And I think he's got everything in the right place. He's developed his football philosophy. He understands how to speak to Bayern players the right way, the way that they need to be. And he understands how to control egos and get the best out of your top players and develop young players. So it's hard to say that he's not the finished article, really, as a head coach. You're painting
0: a picture of a German Peter Taylor here on Flickr, I think, but um, but you you are you are spot on. You know he's gradually got to know this squad and 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 learnt how to get the best from them. But uh, just just moving back towards sort of the, the under twenty three angle. I mean there are quite a few teenagers who've, who've made first team appearances this season. Um, we touched on uh, Alfonso Davies just earlier, who himself is only nineteen um in the spotlight also there's, there's been Joshua Zirkzee uh, the, the Dutch forward who seemed to score with every fifth touch um a couple months back um, you've also had, you know, the likes of Sarpreet Singh, who's been uh, a trailblazing Sikh player from New Zealand, who's who's been around the first team setup a lot, but primarily played for the for the Zvai side. Uh, and most recently, we we saw 17 year old Jamal Musiala, who holds dual nationality between uh, Germany and England, take to the, take to the field and, and become Bayern's youngest ever Bundesliga player. Um, so th- there's a lot to di- I mean, there's a lot to digest there. So I suppose we'll we'll start with Xerxes, um, and I mean, he's come in as as a bit part player, um, you know under flick and, and has scored a few goals. He's got them out of some sticky situations. Um, I mean, are we talking about a potential successor or, or an eventual heir to Robert Lewandowski's throne, or are we seeing an entirely different type of player altogether?
1: I don't know. I think it's always difficult with young players. I don't think he's going to be an heir to, to Lewandowski. Um, I think he's slightly different. Yeah, I think he's uh he's less brutal in the box. Maybe that's the, the language I would use. I always feel fear when Lewandowski is anywhere within the 18 yard box. I think with Zerx, he's just a little bit I don't say agile because Lewandowski is very agile, but um he's more nimble. Uh and I, I find his you know he's got a great that little layoff touch and his ability to arrive at the right times encouraging. I think he's got obviously he's got really, you know, quite a lot of potential, but um I think the thing with Bayern Munich is, you know, if you're looking two or three years ahead, Lewandowski at some point is, you know, is going to slow down and and they're going to have to find another striker. And I don't know whether Xerxes in that period of time is going to make the jump because the jump between the two is so enormous. And I think it would almost be unfair to put that expectation on him. Do I think he can become a solid uh, Bundesliga striker? Absolutely. Um, But I envisage that he's the kind of player who probably spends a couple more years at Bayern and then you know if Bayern Levin- if if Bayern do buy a player to replace lewandowski uh, who is instantly world class then i feel like zerks is the kind of player who would leave and go somewhere else so that he could become maybe a mid table team legend where maybe he plays for 10 years and scores 200 goals that's the kind of player that i i see the or the path that seems to me to be more likely um he has he has encouraged as you, as you have said you know he he's shown encouraging signs but i don't see him as an heir um mainly because it's almost impossible in my eyes to to have an heir to, to Lewandowski's throne, but also because he is a slightly different player. yeah. And I think you maybe have to take a decision not to win as much if you want to develop some young players. And I don't know whether Bayern will do that. I would encourage it, like I say, but uh, I'm not sure. So I think Xerxes' future is, is maybe beyond Bayern. It's also
0: very difficult to foresee how how teenagers will develop at such an early age. You know, Zucki has he's been in in the the second team and hasn't you know hasn't set the world alight there. But he's probably quite fortunate to have found himself in in the positions he did when when he scored for the first team. So um, you know that's probably possibly why his goals record you know four Bundesliga goals in nine games at, at the time of recording before the uh, the final fixture uh of this season you know that's perhaps why it looks so good and you know everyone might be thinking oh you know who is this next player that this new striker um because that's always the glamorous position you know and, and those comparisons are always going to be made you know Lewandowski himself was was still 21 when when he was playing uh, with Lech Poznan in, in Poland so you know, his development will might will take an interesting path but from from first impressions yeah i, I kind of agree with, from where you're coming from there um Another player who who's been very interesting, um, who uh, I'd like to just just touch on briefly, is Sarpreet Singh, who is a little bit older. He is he is twenty one and 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 more successful in, in the in the second team. Um, you know, he signed from Wellington Phoenix after an impressive under twenty World Cup last summer, and, and on the face of things, has, has settled really well at Bayern. Um, made his first start against Freiburg on, on the 20th of June, which is undoubtedly a huge moment for, for him, his family, football in New Zealand, and, and also the Sikh community because there's such a dearth of professional footballers with that particular background. Um, and, and there was a great piece on him making his debut back in December uh, in, in the latest edition of Mundial Mag, which people should also check out if they get the chance. Um, but But also... Onto the, the the last of the three players I briefly mentioned um, before Xerxes, uh, and and that, it's probably the one I'm most excited about, and it, perhaps it could be down to recency bias, but it, it's Jamal Musiala, former Chelsea youth team player, current England youth international. Um, he attended the same school as Callum Hudson-Odoi and Victor Moses, uh, and and of course, you know, no one is the authority on, on Jamal Musiala at the moment because uh, he he just simply hasn't played enough football to to garner all these. Ex- Appraisals uh, of his style and that sort of thing uh, but from from what we've seen you know he's an attacking midfielder, but at seventeen and with the skill set he has you know he could develop into to any sort of attacking player that he wants um but he he fits into a trend which has been quite interesting with with British players, particularly younger ones um you know moving over to to germany to to find first team minutes but also for for development reasons um he, he left chelsea for, for bayern's academy um just as, as a broader point, Jonathan, it's not sort of a brain drain or a talent drain that's coming from you know, England's top academies. But why are so many, do you feel, finding solace in, in Germany?
1: Well, that's a good point. Um, I think there are a few reasons. I think one of the reasons is that I think, um, quite honestly, uh, I think a lot of players are realising that it's worth taking maybe a financial hit um, in exchange for game time. I think uh, they might end up earning less in Germany, but they will end up playing more. And I think a lot of players have started to realize that there is great value in that in the long term for many reasons. Um, Secondly, I think that a lot of the players who are coming over here are often players who possess skill sets that are not always on show in Germany. And that's partly because of the development of young German players and the way that players are developed here in the system, that they're often system players, who don't always possess the ability to execute one-on-one um, skills or who can you know make a difference in the game that is one of the reasons why Leroy Sané is going to be one of the most important players of, in, in the German national team going forward because he does have that ability that's also one of the reasons why Jadon Sancho for example exploded uh, in the Bundesliga because he has a skill set that not very many players in the Bundesliga have so I think those are a couple of reasons why players are starting to realize that a move abroad generally, you know, makes sense. But specifically Germany, because there's a lack of, uh, of players who, who can execute in one-on-one situations and who pose that individual threat. But also because the league has a great reputation of giving opportunities, whether it be to coaches or to young players. And I think young players recognize that there is probably a great amount of value, not probably, there is definitely a great amount of value in saying, you know what, I'm going to go spend a year on loan at Mainz, or I'm going to go spend a a couple of years playing for Borussia Dortmund. And I think there's a great value to be had playing in Germany and in other countries. You know, it's not just a specific German trait, but there's so much to be gained as a human being in that development. You know, you meet different people, you speak a different language, you learn different things about the way that different countries play, play football differently, but also how they interact with one another. And I think that's a great advantage to young players because if they ever do return to England or if they don't, they can only learn and grow as human beings. And that's, uh, that's the ultimate in, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, there's been a quite a few examples of that, but but also you know some that have flown perhaps under the radar. Uh, Keenan Bennett has has been at um, Borussia Mönchengladbach, re- most recently made his debut there under Marco Rosa, and also Clinton Mola, who was also at uh, at Chelsea and was quite an integral part of their of their under twenty three and UEFA youth league sides. Um, who, who moved to Stuttgart in uh, in January, I believe it was. So there's definitely credence to say that you know more and more players are. In effect, cottoning on to that fact that you know perhaps taking a financial hit will be better in the long term, and of course they're getting a lot more football there um, and a lot more personal development, as you've just mentioned, than perhaps they would be by staying within within their home comforts. Um, just in from from more of a coaching perspective, do you think that Germany offers something different, something better, coaching wise, to to these players, or or even to sort of the
1: domestic players? Um. I think it's something different and I think there's always value in learning a different approach. Uh, I think the coaching in Germany, because of the language often, is very restricted to just German coaches, um, which can be a positive, um, but I think as we saw with the introduction, obviously Pep Guardiola is an exception because he's an exceptional coach, but his presence in the league had a wider impact on the way that German football was played and german football hasn't really been the same since he was here so i think the introduction of foreign coaches has been or you know has been and is always a benefit to the development of a national game but i think for players coming over to germany it's really an opportunity to i think a lot of players want to play a certain way and i think the way that a lot of teams play in germany is linked and connected to the way that jürgen klopp had bruce dortmund playing when they won the title there's definitely been a move towards this high-pressing, high-intensity game because it's attractive and it's intense and it looks great and it's rewarding. Um, It's demanding as a player, uh, extremely physically demanding. But I think uh, having watched that from afar or having seen that, you know, pressing has become widespread now. I'm not, you know, it's not something that's well-kept secret in Germany. I don't want to suggest that. But I think a lot of teams play that way. And I think a lot of players... See that, and I think that's appealing. I think being coached that way is um, can be really beneficial because, as I say, I think a lot of teams in football generally these days play that way. But I think German coaching—you know—the way the coaching course is set up, especially for the Fußballera at the top level—you know, that's it's so comprehensive. There are so many hours of study. There's so much experience that goes on there. I can't help but feel that the coaches that come out of that have, you know, A plus remarkable levels of of understanding of the game. And the biggest benefit of that is that they're able to put that into practice. You know, I think there are a number of qualified, excellent head coaches in the UK uh, that are just not getting the opportunities. And that's a problem. Whereas I think in Germany, and maybe this will change in a few years, because I think more and more coaches are getting getting their badges over here. More and more coaches are qualified in Germany. But at the moment, uh, there are a lot of talented coaches who are getting opportunities to coach at youth level. And then that, that, is, you know, that means something over here. And I think that's part of a bigger thing. And I don't want to you know, drag this answer on too much, but I think it's important to give the context because the professional game in Germany is, is, not, is, is forever linked to the youth game because youth football in Germany is almost, you know, it's extremely professional. And not only that, but the value of coaching and playing at youth level is extremely high. It is why your Nagelsmans um, and your Rosers, um are able to get first-team opportunities. It's because the work that they do at youth level with young players is valued because youth football in this country is extremely high quality. And there's not too much difference other than maybe, I would say, pressure, interest, pay, and player quality – between the way that a youth team operates and a first team operates so that experience as a head coach means that when you get to a first team level you already have bags of experience Um, and I think having that opportunity is invaluable and that's part of the problem in the UK because I think youth football in the UK is not considered the same and is not held to the same standards and I think if that were to change you would see a lot more coaches being able to find their ways into first-team jobs because that experience would be of value rather than saying, oh, we'll just stick them in the reserves and that's it. There's a totally different perception of youth football in Germany and that means something. You know, you only have to look at the number of coaches that have gone to the Premier League who used to coach Dortmund's under-19 team. Um, there's a reason for that. Uh, and I think that's because in the last few years, teams in the UK have cottoned on to the value of youth football and the recognition of youth football in Germany. And that makes a big difference. That makes a big difference for players and the way that the coaches are considered here. I know that's a really long winded answer, but I think that's important as part of the context of why coaches are different in Germany, because they get so much opportunity when they're young and uh, it still counts as something when they get first team opportunities. No,
0: absolutely. I mean, I, I didn't want to break you mid flow there because it, it's a point that resonates with me completely. You only need to, to look at the work that Julian Nagelsmann did with, with Hoffenheim's youth sides, and, and of course, Marco Rosa with uh, what is perpetually a very young side uh, at FC Red Bull Salzburg there within that setup. But just moving away from sort of from the the buy-in that we were talking about before and moving more towards sort of this coaching um focus you know uh, i would really like to pick your brain about mensch a little bit more um because as you said it's it's about it's of course german coaching and it is contemporaneous as i said um because it really goes into detail on on the people who've essentially spearheaded the movement as you just detailed um you know nowadays we see the words half space round deuter. Uh, Gegenpressing, you know, they, they punctuate football discourse across the world, and all of these terms originate from Germany. And I suppose two of the newest trailblazers in that field are Marco Rosa and Julian Nagelsmann, who we couldn't help but mention in in our in our chat earlier in, in this podcast episode. And, and I suppose while Nagelsmann is perhaps more of a household name now that he's at Leipzig and and managed in the Champions League with them people may sort of be neglecting to notice uh, Marco Rosa, um, who was once a disciple of uh, a certain Jurgen Klopp, which uh, I feel a lot of people may not know. Um, So for anybody who's listening to this and and frantically Googling Marco Rosa, um, what what can you tell us about him, his his personality, philosophy, background, et cetera?
1: Well, I mean, anyone who listens or, you know, I I can only say listen to the Stadio podcast because it's great, but anyone who does listen to that will know that he's also an extremely handsome man. Um, which is which is <laughs> I think where a lot of people start their connection with Marco Rosa. Um, always looks good on the sidelines. Uh, no, I think what I like about Rosa so much, it, it, he also is a, is a you know a disciple of Klopp, if you like, because you know, we look at his work at, at Abisatsburg, where he had them playing an extremely uh, aggressive pressing game. It's not too dissimilar at Gladbach. Um, you know, when I've spoken to a couple of players at Gladbach, when they compare it to how they played in previous years, they say, Yeah, you know, we're we're way more direct when we have when we win the ball back. And you only need to watch one or two of their games to see how incredibly ruthless they are when they win the when they win the ball back. And it's kind of this and it's similar to the way that Leipzig played a little bit under Ranić, which was this like, oh, when we win the ball back, nine seconds, we want to be shooting on goal within that period of time. And you know, I think what I what I admire about Marco Rosa is that he has never made it about himself. You know, he he arrived at Gladbach and a lot of people were like, oh, you know, you came from Salzburg and, you know, what's Marco Rosa's philosophy? And he was like, well, actually, we need to figure out what the philosophy of Gladbach is and how I can change that or how I can move this forward. And I think that says a lot about Marco Rosa. He He really does recognize the need of the collective. Um, He's a very open and honest guy. Uh, I I remember hearing once in an interview that the one thing he can't stand is a lack of honesty and trust. Um, And I respect that. He's been incredibly supportive of his players going forward. I think he fits into this mold of coaches who, who knows how they want to play but recognizes how to fit that to the club and only really takes the jobs that fit him. He surrounds himself with, you know, a great coaching staff. And Rene Maric, for example, his assistant coach is a smart guy. Uh, But also, you know, a great story there who's come from, you know, writing about football and now he's involved in football. You know, like I, I think surrounding yourself with people who've come an unusual way into the game is a positive. He has developed a lot of the players in his team individually, but... I think, as a collective, the way that Klabach have come together at times this season has been really impressive. And that's not to say they haven't had their, you know, their dips. They've had a couple of disappointing results along the way. And I personally would have wished that they could have held it together a little bit more down the stretch because I think there was a moment in the season where I really thought they were going to be at the top of the table for a while, pushing. Um, but I like I like Rosa. I have to say, I have I, I like the way that he speaks. He's very calm. You mentioned it, and I think it's important that time with Klopp. It's not to be missed. It's not to be looked away from. I think he had something like a hundred odd games under him as a player. And that's really a long time to spend under who, you know, under a coach that is now one of the greatest, if not, you know, in the top three of, of greatest German coaches of all time. And that has an impact on you. I read recently that he during the pandemic, I think I read recently that he hosted a hundred amateur coaches uh in the stadium and gave them tips, you know, all physically distanced and all of the appropriate protocols of course giving them tips on how to run sessions during a pandemic and answering their questions and that's the sign of a guy who cares and who loves football obviously but who is also caring for his coaching community I think he's someone who loves to have conversations with people who are like minded who are in the coaching community Um, and I enjoy watching his teams play football
0: yeah, I didn't know that about uh, the, the the advice and the, the hundred coaches um, sort of forum type thing, if you will. But I suppose that's that's huge for for the coaching community. And and yeah, like you say, that's a guy who cares. You're not going to put something like that on just to you know just just for the the, the good press. You know that that's something that takes a lot of a lot of guts, a lot of balls, a lot of preparation. And of course, you know, as you, as you mentioned, his Gladbach team have been really entertaining this season. You know, high scoring and even pushing for a bit of a title tilt at one point before, you know, expectedly falling away, I suppose, um, due to, you know, not having the depth or, or the, the, the experience of, of a Bayern Munich, for example. Uh, and at the time of recording, um, Gladbach and, and Leverkusen are locked in, in a battle for the remaining Champions League spot um, with Rosa and, and his lot. Uh, currently in fourth position, uh, pole position to achieve that. Uh, and, and I suppose regardless of whether they do or whether they don't, he's delivered European football in his first year in charge. You know, he's successfully integrated the likes of Marcus Turam and Remy Bensabayini, who've both been first class. He's got the best out of Alassane Player uh, and Denis Zakaria as well. I mean, how much of how much of his success, I suppose, can you put down to his coaching philosophy, his coaching credentials, as well as perhaps being a good man-management figure like the Bobby Robsons of the past, for example?
1: Yeah, I think the man-management is key. Um, I think he really does understand his players. Uh, But I think his coaching is perfect for the team that he's got together. He's got a lot of really aggressive wingers. Um, Even Jonas Hoffman has been a revelation at times. Patrick Herrmann, who's been a long stay there. But it's also important to understand that in the context of Gladbach. You know, Gladbach is a club that has always operated so well, understood how to stay financially sound. Max Abel is, for me, the best sporting director in the world. Um, he's done a phenomenal job of progressing that team in the right direction. And, you know, when you consider Marco Rose's development, and we mentioned Klopp earlier, but he's basically spent his whole life. I mean, he did have coaching experience at youth level. He was a modest player, but that, that, experience from a young age working at youth level and then he's you know moving into first team coaching he's basically spent his whole life moving towards a philosophy that has been influenced by coaches around him and I think you know even before he even recognized that he was doing it he was probably developing a philosophy of how he wanted to play football based on what he learned and how he played and now he finds himself in a position to implement that with the right set of players I've been really impressed with the speed in which he's done that. I think they have to finish fourth, um, also to prove a point. I'm pretty sure they finished fifth last season um, under Hecking. And obviously there was a big hoo-ha about the fact that they moved on from Hacking and got Rosa. But I think that's a sign of an astute sporting director, Max Abel, who recognized that Marco Rosa was a coach to take them forward. Taking them forward would be finishing fourth. So that's an important sign. And the biggest thing for clubs like Gladbach um, at the moment is that if they finish fourth, that's Champions League football. And Champions League football is not only beneficially financially, but it means that you can keep the group together for one more year. And you can say, look, guys, stay with us one more year. Let's push on. Let's see if we can win something. Because, you know, we now live in an age where, you know, third division, fourth division players in any country are of interest to somebody somewhere. Scouting networks are so large. You guys do such fantastic work scouting young footballers. But if we think 15, 20 years ago, the concept of people who were not in football being able to scout players from a young, from so far out of the game, as it were, from such a, you know, remote leagues as the third division in Germany or Hungary or whatever, or Austria, was incomprehensible. But now we live in an age where almost every player, we know something about him or somebody knows something about him, right? So, that makes it harder to keep hold of players. And Gladbach are are, a really prominent team in terms of being attractive to watch. But, you know, Marcus Turam, Alessandro player, you talked about, Dennis Sakari, you talked about these players. Nico Elvedi, who, you know, let's not forget, has come on leaps and bounds and is, in my opinion, one of the best defenders in the Bundesliga these days, even though he's so young. I think he's only 23 still. So, immediately... Gladbach are caught between this situation and Marco Rosa recognizes that but if you get into the Champions League it's great because you can you you know you get the competition that you want you get the financial benefits but you can also convince players guys you don't need to leave whereas if you finish fifth you're in the Europa League some team comes along says we've got Champions League football we can offer you a bit more money and the opportunity to play on the biggest stage it's harder to keep the band together but his system the reason that it works is because his system is is perfect for the players that he has and that's because Max Abel recognizes the philosophy of the coach and this is a perfect example of how clubs should work in in unison and buys players in connection with him that he knows will fit the philosophy of the playing style and that's really really important so Rose has been supported by a man who has delivered players that fit the playing style and that's why they're where they're at in the table but um yeah impressed with him across the board man management and his ability to develop players
0: yeah from the top down it works to you know to put it simply f- from the outside looking in it works max Abel, as as you mentioned um you know as you decorated as the the, the best sporting director in in the world um you know he has obviously there's a great deal of alignment with uh, the head, with the coaching, and with sort of the recruitment, and that's evident. And you know, you see that in terms of like the players, like you know, Patrick Hermans, Florian Neuhaus. Those they're, they're not star names, but they play a severely important role uh, in in these in that team. And and of course, Marco Rosa will will um, impart that how important they are to him. But yeah, it's it's an interesting one to see. You know whether they will be able to hold on to, to their top players because for example you know a, a player like Marcus Turam you know he was he was playing uh, as, as a as a striker or a left-sided forward um for, for Gangon in, in Ligue 1 last season you're know, finishing bottom of the league and now could be on the well he's probably on the radar of plenty of Champions League sides so yeah that 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 in particular keeping hold of uh keeping hold of the your key players is is something that I didn't take into consideration a, a huge amount but It's going to bear considerable weight. Nagelsmann is is the other one uh, we touched on just before. Uh, And at 32 years old is is the youngest manager to ever win uh, a knockout tie in the UEFA Champions League. Uh, And I remember seeing a video of him This always sticks with me, a a video of him uh, coaching his players uh, atop from a platform next to a huge screen at Hoffenheim's uh, training ground, which recorded the training sessions. And I mean, to me, that just, it seems so simple and yet so revolutionary. Uh, I mean, what does it take for, for a young coach with no, well modest professional footballing experience you know he was on the books of clubs but was never a professional footballer you know what does it take for a a man like that to come into a top division club at at Hoffenheim work his way up through the youth squads uh, and then say you know I'm going to do things my way you know have your book I don't need it this is how we're going to do things does that again come into you know having the uh, management structure in place to to say yeah you know we trust we trust you because of the work that you've done with with the younger players
1: yeah, that does play a role. Um, it's also context. I mean, the two clubs that he's coached at. Let's not forget that the influence of data and analytics there at Hoffenheim he had the backing of SAP. You know, who, who are SAP who are connected to them. You know, that's not to you know be missed because that's a big. They play a big role in in enabling those kind of uh, facilities. Um, and the same is true at Leipzig. You know, they they are all about that data. So he's picked clubs that match his philosophy and the way that he wants to approach development and training Um, which is why if he ever does coach a bigger team I would be interested to see how he works I'm sure he'll take those things with him and they in turn will then be considered perhaps revolutionary as you say because they won't be implemented at those clubs but there's always the context of the situation to be considered secondly the advantage that he has is that both clubs that he's worked at uh, have no tradition so that means that they don't have teams of the 1995 or the 85 or the 87 eras coming back, reminding them, well, when we played or, you know, when we won the European Cup, you don't have baggage, right? And I say that as a, as a positive because um, it works in his, to his advantage, um, you know, because you don't have that pressure. So there's nobody really looking to you to compare anything because you're a club that has basically come out of nowhere in both respects. Um, And you have a a clean slate. You have a free canvas to, to paint the picture that you want. And that's to his advantage again. So I think that's one of the reasons or two reasons why he's been able to flourish. That's not to take away from his coaching ability. But the third reason is because, as I said earlier, the value of youth coaching. He's basically been in coaching since 2008. And if he's 28, when you think oh maybe we should make the move and have him in the first team as our first team coach there is nothing to lose A because as I said earlier you don't have the the baggage of history in, in the cases of Hoffenheim and Leipzig secondly because you already know him you don't necessarily need to interview him you know he fits you know he's good and you know that there's not really any value in saying do you want to go and uh, coach another team for four years and then come back and coach us what's the benefit in that for you you might as well coach him straight away now um, and have him in the first team so yeah, I mean, he's a great coach and uh, the value of his efforts at youth football is is one of the reasons that he's got what he's got, but um, it's context. You know, the, the backing uh, of companies that enable the anal- analysis approach matters. The lack of tradition matters and the freedom to operate and be the man matters. And he's had the practice. He had opportunities. And I, I wish there's for so many young coaches around the world that they they were to get those opportunities because I think the difference between coaches like Nagelsmann and Rosa is literally, in many cases, just opportunity.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's very true in, in many walks of life. You know, if you're, you rely on getting those opportunities, it's the same for players as well. Um, you know, one player at a at a similar level or, or similar standard, you know, may get uh, an opportunity in the first team of their club uh, because there's an injury to the player in their position, whereas another may not. And and they may end up having to look for an, a new club at the end of their contract further down the leagues. You know, it, 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 it's it's luck, it's opportunities. But as, as you say, a lot of it does come down to that hard work and that homework that these coaches like Rosa and Nagelsmann uh, have put in um from a from a specific under 23 perspective i mean you look at nagelsmann's hoffenheim side in 2016 17 um you know kerim dembey was great that year serge Nabry the year after uh, and Joel linton uh, during 2018 19 you know none of those players were stars at the time by any means you know in fact Nabri was was essentially a reject in british football um, but do you think there's anything in particular in in nagelsmann's coaching philosophy that perhaps makes him get the best out of younger, younger players or something in his personal philosophy
1: i think it's a question of understanding how to speak to young players Um, And I think what he's able to do is, even though he's young himself, he's able to put that distance between the player and say, look, you know, I'm your coach, but I am also of the same age. And I think he understands the game to a level um, that enables him to connect with people. I I really do think that's not to be underappreciated or undervalued. I mean, he he's done a lot of work in that regard and and i think that's one of the reasons he's able to connect to people his ability you know to understand and to talk to humans is way beyond his years and you know there's probably nothing harder in any context not just football than to lead a team of individuals because you have to take those individuals and and make them into a collective force and you have to motivate them and you have to understand how to deal with 12, 13, 14, 15 different types of personality and yet get them all going in the same direction. And that is really the defining skill of, of modern leadership. And Nagelsmann is able to do that in a football context because he has the knowledge that players want to hear about. And he has the understanding of how to speak to players in a way that I think a lot of other coaches don't. Modern era players, and that's the key. A lot of players in the modern era, they don't just want to be told what to do. They do want to understand why they're doing it and the value of the exercise. So he is trying to put as much responsibility on his players as possible. And that is not an easy thing to do, but if you can do it over time and you make sure that your players are the ones making the decisions, that they're driving the force, they're driving the understanding, that they're driving the training sessions, That's only going to put your team in a better position to succeed on the weekend. And I think that's why his philosophy works so well with the clubs that he's been at. And that's what makes it intriguing to consider if he were to ever move to a top team in future years, how that would work. Because up until now, he's only worked with, I don't want to say only, he's worked with players who are all in on his idea and who are maybe not having the biggest egos. He doesn't have to deal with, you know, Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund players, or Juventus or Manchester United, or Manchester City type players. It's a different type of job, and that is something I'm sure he has in the back of his mind. He's said on a number of occasions he wants to win the Champions League. I'm sure that he will win something in his career, but that will be the biggest test. But I think the defining aspect of Julian Nagelsmann's coaching career will be how he succeeds in a top team and whether he has a whether he will adapt as well as he has up until this point.
0: Just to wrap up, I've, I've got one final question for you, Jonathan, and it's it's more of a hypothetical one rather than um, the, the topics that we've discussed so far. Um, it, it's If you were a young coach right now, and regardless of language barriers or adapting to the culture, etc., based purely on, on where you'd get the best coaching education and the best experience, where would you rank Germany?
1: Well, I'd put it I put it top and maybe I'm a bit biased because I've been able to you know listen to people who know the system but it's hard to not see the value in in having that experience and I think the way that the top level coaching badge is set up um is fantastic for coaches I think there is work to be done and those involved have admitted that in the badge in the badges below the top level um and I think that there are improvements that are going to be made in those areas in the next few years. But I think the top level badge, um, the pro license, which is called the Fußballera here, is really uh, almost beyond comparison, in my opinion. I mean, it, and it starts with language. I mean, you've made some excellent points about language on the show so far. And I, and I have been nodding my head furiously. You know, you talk about the way that German words have become part of the football lexicon just through their use and our understanding of football. And I think the fact that the top level course in Germany is called, you know, football teacher, that is what you become, not a UEFA pro license. Um, there is so much that is said in so little in that respect. And I, I have a lot of time for that. And, and having seen the ins and outs of the course and understanding that there's, you know, a lot of listening involved, and I think the understanding, again, that you know, young players in 2020 need something completely different to players in, 20, uh, in 2000, let alone in 1999 uh, or in 1990, um, that's important. And I think the coaches who adapt, the coaches who are willing to go out, learn another language and are really willing to put themselves out there will, not, will just will benefit across the board you know there's no guarantee for job opportunities of course it's a competitive world as it is in every profession as you have astutely said it's in many walks of life it's not easy but i think the the coaching course in germany at the top level really prepares you in so many respects you know you're having practice boardroom interviews in your coaching course you're having practice situations where you're pretending that there's 10 games to go and how would you manage this team you're practicing interviewing for a job in a specific context maybe in February the team fires their coach and you have to go in what would you say how would you say it these are practical skills that are transferable for any head coach who will potentially find themselves in that situation you know and they they make sense you know let's not just teach them how to play the pressing game or how defending works or what a 442 looks like in reality with the ball without the ball let's teach them how to interact let's teach them how to handle specific situations that we know will arise in the football profession and that's really encouraging so that's why i can't help but see germany is the best place for that and uh, You know, there's a whole lot of wealth to be gained from speaking another language, learning it, putting yourself out there and learning from other people. Um, And like I said, it's not going to guarantee you any job opportunities, but it's certainly going to broaden your mind beyond just uh, beyond the football pitch. But, you know, in terms of understanding everything about the game and understanding uh, everything about human beings, because that's what it really comes down to. It really comes down to people. And at the top level or at the, Game in the park or under sixes, which is just a kick about understanding human beings, what motivates them, what matters to them, and how to get the best out of them, is is the defining factor of modern coaching. And you, human development is really the key, uh, because if you don't understand a the person, then you will never be able to improve the player.
0: I mean, that is precisely the answer I was anticipating, but I don't think I, I could have put it quite as eloquently as that myself. Um, no, I completely, completely agree with, with everything you said there, Jonathan. Um you know, there's there's a lot to be learned. You know, especially when, as you say, from learning a new language and meeting new people and doing all those sorts of things. And if it intertwines with with a with a common love for for, for football or or coaching or that sort of thing, then you know, there's plenty there's plenty to like uh, in, in that arena. Um, that is that is everything for for today's episode. Um, we've we've explored the efficiency and success of FC Bayern München, uh, their, their youngsters uh, that we should all be taking note of in coming months. Um, we've we've discussed coaching philosophy, methodology, um, personalities, and, and in particular um, two or three of the most exciting and evolutionary coaches in Germany's top flight at the moment. Um, a huge huge thank you to, to Jonathan for walking us through a topic that. Uh, as you may have heard, he's he's more than just a bit clued up on, to say the least. Um, but if you've liked what you've heard, please let us know uh, via a review, tweet us or or recommend us to to a friend or family member. Um, you should also, without doubt, follow Jonathan on Twitter. Uh, he is at JohnBlogs66 with a double G in blogs. Um, he's well worth your time, as is his fantastic work on Mensch Beyond the Cones, uh, which is available online now. Uh, Jonathan, uh, my final thank yous, uh, but is there also anything uh, that you'd perhaps like to to promote to to anybody listening at this time?
1: Not at all. Just thank you very much for having me on and for those kind words about my work. I can, uh, you know, i was very grateful uh, for that and um, really appreciate the opportunity to to talk about something that I care about. And um, yeah, appreciate it.
0: No, it's reflected entirely. We, we love getting guests on, you know, who, who, who talk about their, their passions. And of course, um, you know, an hour and five minutes recording, that's the, we've definitely covered that. Um, that's all from us. This has been the Scouted Football Podcast with me, Joe Donahue, joined by Jonathan Harding. Uh, bye for now.